Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hello there. Thank you for tuning in this week. So we're going to focus in on the topic of underperformance because this has been a topic that has always come up as being very well searched and popular on the HR Uprising back catalogue. And therefore, I was really interested to get some information as to whether or not the causes of underperformance have changed as a result of the pandemic. Well, good old Gary Cookson has been doing some research on this, so he joins us in this episode to share his findings in his book that comes out next year, so we get a bit of a sneak preview. And I'll be interested to know, do let us know in the chat actually, as to whether or not this is in line with what you've found in terms of the changes. I also wanted to just let you know that this is going out on the 29th of November, so we've got a couple of weeks until we're going to take a break for Christmas. I figured as we're into our third year, we've done our 140 episodes of the HR Uprising, that you could definitely live without us for three weeks. So we're going to take a break and we will be back after the, we will go till the 13th of December and then we'll be back out on the 10th of January with our best bits episode and then back into our regular programme. If you would like to suggest topics you'd like me to cover next year. I've always said I only want to carry on doing the HR Uprising podcast if it is genuinely of use, of value and of interest to people. So do join the LinkedIn group or reach out to me on other forms of social media if you prefer and let us know the sort of topics that I should be researching over that Christmas break and putting out some good quality episodes um, next year with. Also suggest guests that you'd like to hear from as well. So that's just my quick reach out to you. We'd love to hear from you with suggestions for next year as to how we can make 2022 on the HR Uprising podcast as valuable as possible for you. And in the meantime, I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Gary Cookson. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And we are delighted to have a repeat guest, Gary Cookson. So great to have you back on the podcast, Gary. Um, Thank you, Lucinda. It's really good to have you. And um, the topic we want to explore together is, I suppose it's about employee relations, it's about performance issues, and whether or not a hybrid working environment has meant there's been a shift in these. So the virtual HR um, professional, whether or not they've got more work in this area, the same amount of work in this area, different work in this area. Gary's doing some research for his upcoming book, and so he's got some right up to the moment research he's going to share with us on this this um, episode. So, Gary, introduce yourself to people who perhaps didn't hear when you've been on previously. Thank you. And it's lovely to be back. Uh, I'm Gary Cookson. I'm a, uh, I am run the business Epic HR Limited, and I've been doing that now for about four years. 
Prior to that, I've got 20 years experience of various different levels of HR role in the public, private and voluntary sector all around the northwest of the UK. And I work with a range of organisations now all over the world, helping them to learn how to survive and thrive in a remote environment. That's really what my book is about, due out next June. Yes, and we will let you know at some point in the future what it's going to be called because that's still being kept under wraps, isn't it? But it's certainly, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's certainly all about these issues in you know right up to the moment in a in a hybrid environment. Hence, we were talking on social media about this kind of idea of of performance or underperformance. Because, and I know on previous podcast episodes that that's one of our, our podcasts on the topic of how to manage underperformance, how to deal with. Um, how to drive a high performance culture, lots of things to do with underperformance. There's obviously a challenging area for HR professionals because they tend to be ranking really high in our listener numbers. So when you said, Gary, that you had got some research that you could share as to where we were with that and what's real, um, I was really interested to hear a little bit more about that. Do you want to tell me a little bit about what you've been looking into so far in this area? Yeah. I mean, the the book in general is about how to redesign people practices for a remote or hybrid world. And each of the chapters takes a different area of people practice. So there's a chapter on recruitment, chapter on reward, there's a chapter on L&D, there's a chapter on technology. And this particular chapter is on employee relations. And it looks at what's different in disciplinary situations, what's different in grievances, what's different in sickness, absence and and the way that works. And underpinning all of these, it looks at how the role of a team and its leader has changed and how that creates some implications for the way we need to think about performance differently and manage it differently in a remote world. So, I mean, I think that's really, really key, actually, because some of that's about um, HR stresses and some of it's about managers and a lot of it is actually how can we prevent it? So I guess if you're finding um new challenges that would be really interesting to understand I mean I was saying to you before we came on this sort of recording why I was so interested in in talking to you and others in terms of people with their fingers on the pulse when I think back to the training that I've traditionally delivered to line managers usually about what drives underperformance what it used to be was a lot of it was about people not having clarity. Now, often that comes to, down to not having clear goals and expectations, not being given regular feedback, not being um, and not having regular enough communication. You can definitely see that that could be impact, continue to be an issue in the hybrid world. Typically, you know, people talk about individual attitude. And often I used to think that managers disproportionately blamed the individual when actually it was probably down to them management behaviours then you've got the classic skill and training and maybe people having different skills that they need to gather to work remotely and then often it used to work surrounding environment um, as to you know maybe people around you working in a certain way and that was giving you the idea that was the way to go now my anecdotal looking at that very simple model is that surrounding environment whether you know people have had children around them or they haven't got good working environments at home or they're missing the interaction of the office I can see how that might be either de-energizing or distracting people and affecting performance Um, but I'm not sure how big that would be and I don't know if there are other areas so interested in your opinion on that in terms of in regard to your research. Yeah I think you're right the the role of a leader is quite critical in this and a leader needs to realize that what people have got going on in their new working environment is going to affect their ability to engage, be committed and to perform. And that's going to need the leader to do slightly different things and for each team member to do slightly different things. So it's very much backed up by the research I've been doing. And the research has been looking at 
well, how is it different? And what are the things that teams and individuals and their leaders and particularly HR and L&D professionals need to do differently in the way we deliver some of the things that we've traditionally delivered in one particular way when people have been in front of us? How does that differ when we can't see them? How does that differ when we're not co-located with them all the time? So the research is, is looking at those types of things. So what can you share as to what you found out then in terms of what, what are the highlights in terms of what differs? Where should we start? We could look at disciplinaries. We could look at absence. We can look at team relationships. Where would you like to start? Let's start at disciplinary because I think that's probably more linked to when I'm talking about um classic underperformance where a manager says oh I think I need to put someone on a warning type thing where the manager triggers it as opposed mm. to sickness absence I can see is more binary in my idea but that's me as a non-HR um, professional more of a training professional I, would that be a fair way of looking at those differences? Yeah I think it would be we can start with disciplinary situations and my, my research was looking at two questions firstly has the level of disciplinary situations changed with the introduction of remote and hybrid working? And has the nature of such things changed? Taking the first question about has the level changed, it seems no, it hasn't. It hasn't changed. But the second question, yes, there's definitely been a shift there. The nature of such things has changed. Remote and hybrid working has had an impact on the types of misconduct and performance that organisations are seeing. You can imagine some of them. It might be conduct on video calls, maybe innocent, but certainly significant mistakes like microphones being left open when they shouldn't be. People overhearing inappropriate conversations, maybe things being sent on private chat messages that shouldn't have been seen by everybody. And that's understandable to a degree because in the early stages of lockdowns, we were all getting used to the new technology. We're all getting used to new ways of working. And very few organisations took the time or had the time to actually set what the expectations were in such meetings. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising that people fell foul of poor practices. Loads of people had to change their working practices really quickly. Loads of people were under considerable pressure that they'd never experienced before. Remote working was rushed for many people. Mm -hmm. It was enforced for many people. And lots of employers lacked the data that they needed about performance and about conduct to be able to really understand what was going on for people. People were surviving day by day. Mm, mm. But now as we move towards a, maybe the end of the pandemic is in sight, certainly it doesn't seem to be as pressured as it was, and we're moving towards a hybrid world of work, we can learn from what happened there. We can learn from the things that were unique from remote working and how that's changed some of those things. Maybe it's to do with inappropriate use of systems. Maybe it's to do with people not working their regular hours and what what comes from that and the way managers view it. Maybe it's what managers feel when people are uncontactable when working remotely and whether that in itself leads to problems. And it can lead to lots of problems, I'm sure we'll explore. So some of the problems from a conduct perspective are caused by remote working or exacerbated by it. I mean, let's say that, sorry, go on, go on, carry on before I ask you a question. I was about to make, make the point that some people who had underlying mental health conditions prior to the pandemic probably had them made worse by remote working. That in itself might have been a major contributor to misconduct or levels of underperformance. And in my, in my book, I explore the impact of things like homeschooling and childcare and other caring responsibilities having on employees working remotely. And that too will have been a factor in 
underperformance and misconduct. So certain things were unique to the situation we found ourselves in over the last 18 months. And as we move away from lockdowns and homeschooling and people get used to new patterns of work, some of those should alleviate themselves, but not necessarily all of them. And yeah, and, and I mean, it would seem pretty tough when we've been through exceptional circumstances to, um, you know, manage under uh, performance, manage somebody from when it was something to do with childcare or those sort of things where we were all going through those. So, um, and, and, and I think that's an interesting one because in some ways, I suppose it created a, an environment where the expectation or the psychological contract shifted, where, you know, employees expected more give and take. And most people are really grateful for it, but then there will always be people who, take or expect more but perhaps we're just going back to your this whole concept so there's no when you say the level of um disciplinaries and things hasn't increased so actually there have not been more performance there's not a greater quantity from what your research has said but the sort of things that you're identifying a lot of them related to technology you know misuse of technology Mm. um or more technology catching you out maybe that's interesting to me because um, it, asks, I, it makes me think a couple of questions. One is that if it's about not knowing how to use a the technology, then you could argue it does go back to our our simple model is people not having clarity about what the expectations, as you say, um, it yep. was rushed, they weren't given ground rules as to what was and wasn't acceptable use of it, or they may not have the knowledge or skills. So it goes back to actually um, the cause can be treated that way, you, or at least you can prevent it um, uh, going forward. Yeah, agreed. But, I'm wondering then in that case, then I imagine, so someone for argument's sake, who's having a big moan about the chief executive and they're caught on audio and it goes to the whole organisation. That's not that they wouldn't have had that moan previously. It's just that they got caught out in a virtual scenario. So does that therefore mean that there are other performance issues that were happening in the office that are no longer happening or are we just not spotting them? Because what I'm trying to say is if the levels say the same, um, and we're getting caught out for things that probably were happening anyway. Do you think other things have stopped happening or do you just think we don't notice them because we're remote? This this reminds me of that, um, the analogy, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, does it yeah. make a sound? It and and bit, I think that's what, that's what you're going with, with, with this really, you know, does, but is, is that any different than, than how it was pre-pandemic? I don't think it is. No. All underperformance issues were only addressing things that you see, and all disciplinary situations were only addressing things that you knew about. There were always going to be a bit like an iceberg situation. Nine tenths of what goes on is never seen, it's underneath the surface. And all that remote working is doing is surfacing different types of issues and hiding some other ones as well. So I don't think it's really changing much mm. it's just changing the things you see not how much you see so you've got a venn diagram basically of the of the you've got an overall 100 100 percent of performance issues that are going on that we may or may not see in the workplace you saw 70 percent in the in the virtual environment we saw a different 70 percent basically yeah. it's not the same as a gap between it yeah it's and, like and a kaleidoscope yeah, yeah okay fair enough okay so um I mean, so in terms of, I mean, I was alluding to the fact that clarity and knowledge would change. Is there anything else that you would say if you were recommending to um, HR professionals who are out there in terms of how to virtually manage these sort of things? Are there any tips that you would make in this area of disciplinary and grievance particularly? And perhaps let's go and explore your other two areas as well next. Yeah, okay. Um, Just picking up on grievances particularly, the, the research that I've done suggests very, very strongly that most grievances now 
are about personal relationships between employees and between employees and their manager. And the, the nature of those, when it's entirely virtual, is in itself creating some problems. Not problems that can never be solved, but it's leading to other problems. For example, if you're working at home, work now intrudes into your private life, mm -hmm. whether you like it or not, because you're doing work from home when you might never have done that previously. And it's probably going to bleed into some of your personal time as well. And the technology, the always on nature of it might be problematic. People might be unhappy about working remotely. People might feel that they, they deserve a right to privacy on some things, and that's not able to be achievable for, for many, many people. For example, just earlier on before we started this podcast, we had to delay the start of the podcast because we could hear background noise at your, your end. And somebody was outside the door where you're sat right now. Now, I couldn't hear what they were saying, but who's to say that they couldn't hear what I was saying? And who's to say that the things I'm saying, if they're overheard by whoever else is in your location, that wouldn't lead to problems. That wouldn't mm. lead to a, a breach of individual privacy. And I'm not saying anything that's inappropriate, mm. but I could, could easily do. And I've been on training sessions where I've been facilitating a session in a breakout room. And we've been talking about problematic employees, this group of leaders talking about, I've got a problem with Joe Bloggs and Jane Smith are underperforming. And no one could hear things at my end, but the other people in the breakout room, they had their microphones open and the voices came through and were heard by Joe Bloggs and Jane Smith, who happened to be in the room. And that led to kinds of problems you can imagine, think about privacy and about who's discussing what and things like that and grievances. But remote working means that we rely on digital forms of communication and there's lots of things that are open to misinterpretation and things can go wrong from it as well. And it means that many employees are more easily triggered, I think that's the right word, triggered into raising grievances or feeling like they're struggling with working relationships because the opportunity that you had face-to-face -to, -face to just go and see somebody, nip things in the bud, dampen down the fire before it really caught a blaze is not as easy to do remotely. Or not even, as easy to do. Even the sort of emotional bank account concept of the fact that even if you've got to have a, a difficult conversation with somebody, you may, might have had a coffee and tea and tea and cake with them a couple of days previously or, or talked about the football or whatever. So you've got a bit more of a relationship there that they – that, it, that it's less sort of direct it's less it's less abrasive maybe so you have got more yeah personal relationship there to draw on when the chips are down yeah yeah I think you're right on that one it's not impossible to create that but mm. it's harder to create that and teams need to work really hard at social relationships when they're working remotely and the leaders of the teams need to encourage some of that to go to back to a very very simple model of team development the Tuckman model mm -hmm. of team development which almost everybody's come across the forming storming norming performing model when teams suddenly overnight went remote what many teams didn't realize is they were reset on that model that no matter where they were on that model at the point at that point in time they went right back to the forming stage and as we move now from entirely remote into more hybrid models, then again, teams are going to be reset on that model. And they need to treat it as if they are a brand new team coming together for the very first time. Now, I don't know of any teams that did that, 
Mm. But they should. And now is a good enough time to do that, to work out what the different responsibilities are, how they're going to talk to each other, how they're going to relate to each other, how they're going to resolve interpersonal problems, how they're going to make decisions, how they're going to talk to the the leader of the team, what data goes from person to person and how all those types of things can lead to and do lead to problems if they're not explicitly stated. And when you can't see people all the time, you might only see some people some of the time, it's really difficult to understand exactly who does what in a team. Mm. And that will lead to performance issues if it's not explicitly addressed. That's a really, I think that's a really interesting concept. I hadn't thought of that. So the whole Tuckman model. So if we say we're all set back to forming, then the, the challenge is the teams that don't allow themselves to storm. So because, of course, if you don't get through the storm, you never get to normal and performing, do you? Yeah. So so, yeah. so if they're too scared to have a bit of conflict and saying, oh, you never bloody have your camera on or, um, you know, you don't answer. You're always on out of office. I can't. So if they're not getting to that. If they haven't worked through those those issues, then yeah. they are ultimately going to be less productive um, in the long run. Yeah. Before you said that, I was just thinking about the whole thing about we were all talking to each other every week right at the start of it. Was it, it was almost like. And, you know, it's almost the the, the peoply thing was frequency, but I don't know whether it was clarity or structure. It depended on how many um, organisations worked through it in a kind of useful way. But now lots of people have normed into the con. People have gone either okay, I want to go back into office, or actually, I'm perfectly happy with this level of content, and I'm not going to make any more effort to be any closer or invest in the people aspect of it as well. So um, that's sort of two different strands there, but. Uh, I don't know, were you, were you going to comment on the storming aspect of that? Yeah, I think so, because when, when you're in a, a co-located working environment, you're face-to-face with people, the rules that, that you use to work together, they're, they're unwritten, but they're usually well-established, part of the culture's custom and practice, unwritten rules around meeting etiquette, answering emails, returning calls, things like that. But when you're remote, very few, if any, teams actually said, well, How's that changed for us now? How do we change that? How is the team leader going to deal with different situations? How are we going to manage the information flow between the team members? How do we make sure everybody's kept informed? How do we keep our customers informed of what's happening? How do we make sure the admin around the team happens in the same way? What are the preferred communication methods? How do we manage meetings? What's the etiquette? What's the expectations around behavior? And because none of that was done, it's led to relationship issues, which have yeah. led to grievances and or disciplinary situations. But now is a perfect time to say, okay, we've now got a great opportunity to work on those things and actually put these things right as we move to a hybrid style of working. Yes, exactly. It, because you know, it's a, it was legitimate, as you said at the start, that everyone we pretty much moved to remote working overnight um yeah. it was all, it was in sort of it was rushed yeah it wasn't something you had time to think about and to be honest had we had a chance no. to think about it, people wouldn't have done it um so all things considered it was we did it extremely well as as a society i guess as working society but these are the fallout this is the asset um the the potential pay the charge of this and it's what can yeah. we do about it so there's nothing to stop us from stopping and going okay what are our ground rules around this how effective are we as a team you know what are we we always take stock um as you can do in any organization you go okay what's our cult what you know should we reset our values or where are we going from here there's no harm in doing that every two three years anyway but right mm, now true. moving into hybrid and because teams didn't do that it's led to the increased nature 
of such things coming through in disciplinaries and grievances. Whereas all the, all the more traditional areas of underperformance and conduct issues have not disappeared, but certainly much less. So more traditional things like fraud and dishonesty and things like that, hardly there anymore. But poorer interpersonal relationships now very much front and centre in what we see in performance and conduct issues. Going back to the sort of the tree in the forest thing, though, I mean, I find that quite hard to believe that there's less fraud, etc. Unless there was something about being in an office that gave you more opportunity, I don't know, to fake your tube ticket or something. Um, I don't really see why those things would drop down. Is that not concerning? No, I think I think you're right. It is just the things we see. It's the things that are being taken through a formal channel, through a formal process. And it's impossible to really research their degree of accuracy. The things you don't see, the things that are under the surface. So you're quite right. These things may still be happening, but now we can't see them anymore. It's interesting, isn't it? So your thing about the team relationships being and of your um, disciplinary grievance, and I can see how, well, actually, no, before I go there, let's stick with the grievance thing. Mm. When we're working remotely, yeah, part of me would think that, yeah, may, can you not just not get on a call with people? I, I suppose that's what you're saying is grievances, are we saying that grievances are more narrow now? So it's generally the, with the people that you have to work with when you're working remotely. Um, although I, mean, I don't know how frequently you'd raise a grievance about someone who you're only indirectly in contact with anyway. Just interested mm. in that. You know, is there not an opportunity by hybrid working that you can just see your line manager if you detest them at the bare minimum over, over a video call now and then? Or do you think it intensifies it? I think it intensifies it. And I used the word triggered earlier on. I think that's the, the right word. In this type of environment, people are more easily triggered. Now, video calls is rich in terms of communication content and can probably solve a lot of those issues. But lots of things are not done through video calls. Lots of things are done through asynchronous work, emails, Mm. Slack Mm. channels, Teams channels, things like that, where you can't see the individual. And yes, you can resolve it by jumping on a video call, but often that's just not possible. Mm. Often that isn't an option for people. And some people will have cameras off in such things, and that can lead to more mistrust as well. And, yeah, it's, it's difficult, but it's not impossible to try and resolve such things. Yeah, I mean, highly asynchronous thing, I can totally see that because we've, we've all sort of banged off a, um, a Skype or a, what, you know, whatever your virtual asynchronous communication tool is, in, when you're a bit kind of like, mm, kind of yeah. <laughs> type of, and and hopefully it doesn't read too negatively or it's the intonation isn't it actually and we we read a written message with with the intonation that may or may not be there um and and that can definitely put you into yeah you do there's there's a philosophical i'm going a bit deep for us for a podcast now but there's a philosophical concept called hanlon's razor i don't know whether you've come across it but many of your listeners probably have which says that human nature is such that we we assume malice before ignorance and we should actually be the other way around which is what the whole concept is when you read a piece of electronic communication it's very easy to see the bad in that and to assume the bad in that that somebody actually might not genuinely know what you're doing and they might be asking you this might be your manager saying can you tell me what you've been doing today and it's very easy to assume malice in that whereas it might just be through ignorance and Hand's Razor says we should assume ignorance before malice. And therefore, many of the ills of the world might be solved if we did that. And when you see asynchronous communication, electronic communication, 
easy to see that people don't put ignorance yeah. over malice. They put malice over ignorance. Yeah, I can totally see that. Agreed. Um, okay, so uh, moving on to the team relationship bit of that, then was that was that to do with your Tuckman, or is there something else that you found out in your research around team relationships and the importance of those? I think that's mostly my Tuckman mm-hmm. point and how teams need to to reset the relationship and really set boundaries about how they work with each other and interrelate with each other. And the, the chapter in my book gives some specific ideas for people, professionals on how to do that. Always, always a good idea in terms of that practice. Always good to talk about. It's almost like taking a step back and working on something, isn't it? Going, how effective are we? Yeah. Are our meetings working? You know, you know, what can we do to be better about it? And then um, then the third part of your triangle then, so talk disciplinary grievance and then talk team relationships. What about things like the more traditional absence type things, sickness, absence, et cetera? I mean, it is interesting, isn't it? When people were working remotely, you, did you have a fall off in that? Were people therefore working through illness and, and things like that when they should have been off? Uh, what, what's, what did you find there? I, I saw a, a bit of a change really. In the, in the early parts of lockdown, Aside from things like COVID-related absence, mm. which you can understand why that might be increased, every other type of absence decreased initially. And there was a general reduction in absence being taken by people working remotely. Now, there's a logic to this. Some minor illnesses, I mean, maybe you can tell from my voice, I'm just recovering mm. from a cold. Now, I've been working remotely and I've been okay working whilst recovering from a cold. But if I had to go into a physical office, maybe I might have decided not to because I don't want to spread my germs around and it's easier to take breaks and everything when you're mm. working remotely. Now, that's not to say that people should work through such things when they're working remotely, but in my experience, from my research, many people do choose to carry on working when they're not quite 100%. And the worry there is that that masks the potential true level of sickness absence, and it encourages what you might call a kind of e-presenteeism, which is an idea to explore more in the book it's understandable but it's not necessarily a good thing what i've also seen in the research is that there's an increase in people taking sickness absence in shorter periods hours as opposed to days and that brings with it a lot of process implications so have we got the right process to record that and report it and can the technology help us with that and some some can some can't for example if I'm not well enough to start my remote work at nine o'clock in the morning, maybe because, and I'll use myself as an example, last few nights I've taken some medication to help me sleep through the cold. And when I wake up, I'm quite drowsy and I'm not right at nine o'clock to start work. So maybe I want to stay in bed for a few hours, but by midday, I'm okay. And I wake up and I feel a bit better. So I'll start work at midday and I'll work for the rest of the day. How does that get reported? Does that go down as three hours sickness absence or a full day sickness absence? Or does it go down as no sickness absence? Or maybe I'm due in the office today, but the commute is something that I don't really want. I don't want to be around other people, don't want to be spreading my germs. So I'll work remotely today and I won't do a full day because I'm low on energy, but I do most of it. Mm. So does that go down as an hour and a half sickness absence or none? And organisations need to think about how they're going to report on such things. Because if they don't think that through, they're going to either not have a handle on sickness absence or be too harsh on people. And there's a very fine line to be drawn there. And in 
the organizations I've talked to for the, for the book, no one's quite decided where they want to go with this yet, other than it is a phenomenon that people are taking sickness in hours rather than days. That's interesting. Isn't it? I, mean, I was going to say no one's decided because I, I was going to ask you where to go with that because it all, do, well, I mean, it depends to a certain extent on how high the trust levels are, isn't it? Because actually, if you think about it yourself, we you know, run businesses that so I can entirely see where you go, well, I don't end up making the work still there to be done, but I'm not well enough to do it right now and it will, it will get done. Um, so it's kind of neither here nor there. And people that are in a high trust um, environment, you go, yeah, well, go and have a lie down. You're clearly ill. Take a break, but how the, it, as with all of these things, is it's how do you put it on a larger scale? It's okay. It, it's ha- and be consistent. It's very hard to be fair and consistent. And actually, that I think is one of the biggest challenges that the pandemic has brought on is because rightly we've had to treat people as individuals and take into account their individual circumstances. You know, if someone is homeschooling or has it, you know, what all the personal, we've had to balance all those things because they've had a genuine impact on people's productivity through no fault of their own um but but then how are you fair and consistent and that is the hardest thing isn't it it is really hard and i think there's a role here for for leaders and and people professionals in organizations to create and share what they feel is healthy working practices and to avoid people working when they're too sick to do so to avoid people working longer hours than they need to do so to make sure that people don't respond to communications outside of their working hours, to make sure that when they do work, they're engaged. Because it would be really easy on a virtual call, if I'm ill, to just Mm. sit there and say nothing. And maybe if my camera's off, I can be blowing my nose and coughing and nobody knows. And that can't be right. There's a cultural issue there that needs addressing. So things have got to change. There's many organizations that, that offer people mental health days, to look after your own health and well-being. Maybe we need to think about mental health hours and other kind of personal time in smaller chunks to enable people to switch off and do something that helps them. And then when they come back, they're likely to be much more engaged. That too is a double-edged sword. That comes with some downsides as well. But yeah, there's loads of issues to think about there. Yeah, that almost gets into the topic. I was I did a book review at, at the weekend on a book called Smart Work by Joe Owen, which I'd say just it was really good actually. I thought it was interesting. And um one of the things though that resonated, which isn't necessarily specifically to do that, was the whole idea of autonomy is all well and good. Um, but it only works if the person who's given autonomy has the ability to manage their life in an autonomous way if you see what I mean so are they are they able to delineate between work and home to are they able to take on their own work-life balance are they they have that mental wellness because of course it it is now down to the individual to be able to manage that and then you might have the nicest manager in the world who's saying please don't work from you know work nine to five go out and walk the dog at lunchtime you know don't work when you're sick do all that but if that person has got let's say it's like um anxiety or certain certain personality profile where they find that really hard to to put their own boundaries in place then it's quite tricky isn't it and therefore they may end up um and underperforming in terms of let's say they get into overwhelm or they become sick longer term sick because they've overdone it those yeah. sort of things are really tricky to 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 preempt and that's probably a whole different topic um so it becomes a, a longer term performance issue because actually they're meaning they're being so conscientious they're trying so hard to deliver so it, yeah. it's 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 challenging really really challenging 
Yeah, and there's there's a role for technology to play here. And I know you've got a, a finger in many pies, and this is one of them, about technology providing the right kind of performance and productivity information for the leaders of such teams to work out where to draw that line between having enough performance information without having too much and without having not enough? How do they get that absolutely right? So maybe I would suggest we need to get teams working together to develop their own performance measures and ways of reporting it. So that it's not something that's imposed by the leader of a team. It's not something that's seen as a, a spying measure. So the teams develop their own performance measures, almost like self-directed teams, and they create digital methods to report on and share this information with the team leader who can then in meetings, individuals and teams meetings can talk about that information. So the teams are responsible for their own performance measures. And then the, the leader is, it is about accountability. It's about coaching. So it, we are talking about those, those roles of holding people um, accountable in a supportive way. You know, and, yeah. and, and so um, before this podcast, I was just, we just had a management meeting and we've been really trying to just stay up out of the weeds um, and it's really easy. And, and so let's just keep it. So for next time, these are these are our high level deliverables. And this is what we're going to go and check back on because we end up. It's so easy to get something through to get into the detail on every single single piece. And it always has been. Um, yeah. But that's where we get to overwhelm, um, etc. And so I think that's this role as a leader is almost OK. So almost trying to take pressure off people. So, so believing the best in people, because actually 99% of people are wanting to deliver their absolute best and will respond better if you manage them in a way that believes that they're doing their best anyway. They'll respond up to whatever it is you, you think of them. So it's actually how can we support them in the accountability and ask them questions about, um, you know, is that achievable? Have you got enough balance in there? You know, take some time off, you know, sick or whatever. Just, just apply that trust um, to, to people uh, and, and help them, as you say, to solve their own problems and to come up with the solutions and answers. So that's much more sustainable in their environment mm. and hopefully more engaging. Interesting stuff. So what do you do you think this is a kind of interim phase, isn't it? Right. So if we think about where we were at the start of pandemic, pre, pre-pandemic, start of the pandemic, now is this transition to hybrid world um, there. Do you think if we were to speak again in a year's time that anything will have changed in relation to, in your crystal ball, in relation to performance management or underperformance? Where would you predict it? Have you got any observations or thoughts there? That's a really good question. The part of the answer to that depends on the pace at which the pandemic recedes and the pace at which organisations feel comfortable enough to go back to the physical workplace. Some have done it already. Some have never left it. But many others are still staying remote as long as they possibly can. So it could well be if the pandemic doesn't go as fast as we we think it might, that in a year's time, nothing has changed because no one's gone back to the physical Mm. office or as much. So that's one way of looking at it. If organisations do, then there's a number of things they need to consider. They need to think about the way the team is set up. They need to think about the way the team works with each other and with its leader. They need to think about the way that they draw up the rules of engagement for the team. They need to think about the formal side of things, the formal procedures and policies they need to manage the team, manage its performance and manage the engagement of people as well. So they need to think about a lot of things. And I still suspect that many aren't thinking about such things. Mm -hmm. Many are simply viewing hybrid working as well, you can do two days in the office and three at home or, or some other pattern. And they're looking at rostering. They're looking at 
bums mm. on seats and yeah, looking yeah. at numbers of people and, and where. And that does need looking at, but it's not the only thing that needs looking at. This is a big change for people. And if we don't think about the wraparound stuff, think of it as a system where every component part needs some kind of tweaking or changing. If we just look at how many people we can have in the office at any one time, we're going to miss something. And that's the opportunity to really reset working relationships. Mm. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And, and the one of the things that's really struck me as we were thinking about that is maybe thinking about it, and a lot of it comes down to the individual, uh, uh, empowering the individual, the individual taking responsibility for their work, knowing what their expectations are, knowing what high performance is, asking for help, balancing their work life, um, making sure they've got the skills to do this, actually. It, suddenly, we've gone out of this... It's, it's almost like you've sent your children out before you've had a chance to show them how to, they've sent them to university before you've learned that told them how to cook or, um, you know, tie their shoelaces or whatever it might do, their laundry. It feels a bit like that, that some people, some people would be really equipped and, and be running with it and some are less so. And so indiv- individual needs are quite, quite high, but perhaps I don't know, that's just something that, that's uh, kicked up another thought there in terms of personal individual no, effectiveness. I agree with you. This is almost like personalization of the work experience. Mm. And I think if it's got to be like that now, mm. we've got to focus mm. on the individual because we're not saying to everybody, everybody's going to work in the office Monday to Friday, nine to five. That's just not possible. That that whole work in one place Monday to Friday, nine to five was based on the premise that whoever did that had somebody at home doing the cooking, the cleaning, the washing and the childcare for them. And nobody has that anymore. So we can't insist that everybody works that way, nor can we insist that everybody works remotely. Most people are going to have some blend of hybrid, but it will come down to individual preference and individual circumstances as to whether they say one day a week, two days a week, three days a week, or some other pattern. And that means that the individual employee experience is personalized. No two people are going to have exactly the same experience unless by chance they're married to each other and live and work in the same place yeah even so how often not, does that happen one, that means one of them probably does the washing and the other, yeah. <laughs> one of them yeah. may well have a better experience than the other depending on how their personal relationship Maybe. works doesn't it yeah yeah oh gosh it's really interesting gary um so i guess just to sum it up so i mean we've talked about to summary we've said that the, the, so far it seems that it's the same quantity of performance issues slightly um different types of performance issues some of which may actually resolve themselves as people adapt to understanding how to use technology and, and you know the right behaviors around working remotely we talked about um in relation to that would be in relation to disciplinaries we talked about grievances often being to do with people or team relationships how team relationships could be improved by um, just thinking about establishing norms and agreeing and communicating because we are thrust into those teams so how can be more effective. Um, the sickness absence piece uh, in terms of measuring sickness in hours, should we do that? Is it about trust? Um, and then we've gone down to almost the individual responsibility part of this. Do people need to equip them to, to be equipped? Do we need to provide as employers almost more personal effectiveness in a hybrid environment support? Um, in terms of individual development or something there um, just a, as a food for thought so those are things we've touched on is there anything else that you think for our audience that would be some top tips or some takeaways Gary that would be good for people to to reflect on yeah uh, they could buy my book when it comes out on the 3rd of June and all the answers are 
or at least all the questions are in there that they can answer themselves and contextualize it to their organization. But to give you a flavor of some of the things like that, think about the the formal processes that you have to manage performance, whether they be around absence or capability or conduct, they can't work in the same way as they used to -to face-to-face. There's some things that will need to change to make sure the experience is equitable for everybody. So you need to think about that. You also need to use data as well. You've got a lot of data already about how people are remotely working. So use that and make sure managers are comfortable with making decisions based on data for people Mm -hmm. they might never see Mm -hmm. or will see rarely. Yeah. So there's things like that about data that will help and the technology might well help with that as well. Team relationships are another thing to go back to that. They have the potential to suffer greatly when people are working remotely and much more effort needs to be made to restore and improve that and to help people manage their emotions in a remote environment because they can be heightened because of the the cues that you miss around body language and tone of voice Mm. and the the lack of observable performance for many, many people. So people professionals need to give much more guidance to everybody in the organization about how to do that. And there's some questions and challenges in my book that might help with that. Brilliant. So it's going to be very timely getting that um, that book out. And we will let people know uh, what it's going to be called and where to get them. But I guess just in case people aren't aware of you, Gary, because I think most people will because you're really visible on social media. Do you just want to tell us for the benefit of this? We will, of course, put your links in the show notes again, how they can get hold of you if they want to um, follow you socially or link in with you. Okay, best place to get me is on Twitter. I'm at Gary underscore Cookson. That's the best place to get me in the place where I'm most active and visible. Followed by LinkedIn, where you can find me easily uh, as just Gary Cookson. Fantastic. Gary, thank you so much for coming on the HR Uprising podcast again. We will publicise your book um, and maybe get you on again. (laughs) I post you you when you're out because it's a few months away, but uh, it's been great having this conversation. And thank you so much for stepping up and sharing some pre-snippets Um, from your research okay thank you Lucinda thanks Gary take care so I hope you enjoyed that episode with Gary he's a great guy we're always delighted when he joins us on the show Uh, I talked to you at the start about the fact that we're going to take a break over Christmas and New Year. I also thought I should mention that we have just concluded our How to Be a Change Superhero November open programme, which was oversubscribed. And as a result, we have now got some open courses, which um, have been scheduled not only for February, because we moved people onto that one, but there will also be one in March, April. They are actually filling up really quickly. Clearly, change is the topic. So if you are interested in... Uh, being a change superhero as an individual or actually if you want to put a cohort of your team sometimes it's really good to go through something with other managers so we've just run two in-house cohorts on change Uh, do reach out to me and really happy to have a chat as to whether or not that might meet your needs in terms of our programs we own open programs on virtual management change superhero and we've also got one about individual contribution um, coming up in line with the, some of the thinking that came out of the episode when I recorded this episode today with Gary. I was thinking about how challenging it is being an individual managing your own time and work and effectiveness in this hybrid environment and maybe we need to provide people with some extra skills there as well in terms of managing their own work-life balance and their personal effectiveness. So that will also come soon. There's going to be another programme on that, which will be launched in the new year. 
So if you'd like to work with us, you know where to find us. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And remember, we're taking a break over Christmas, but there's plenty of back catalogue that you can tune into. Thanks a lot. Bye. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.